Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Welcome back. This is Troy Hollings with the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. This is episode two of Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. We've introduced the concept. We've had some examples so far, but now the seance is continuing. We're going we're gonna to summon Two-Face. Part one, two systems. Picture an angry lady's face. So there's a picture in the book, but your experience as you look at the woman's face seamlessly combines what we normally call seeing and intuitive thinking. As surely and quickly as you saw that the young woman's hair was dark, you knew she was angry. You did not intend to assess her mood or to anticipate what she might do, and your reaction to the picture did not have the feel that you did anything. It just happened to you. That was an instance of fast thinking. So he's illustrating this like thinking and thinking fast and slow idea by showing us a picture of an angry lady. And as automatically as our eyes are drawn to the penis, our mind just analyzes this lady and is like, angry lady, she's about to yell, got it. And it doesn't even feel like we did anything. It's just like, yeah, we're witnessing reality. Now think of the following problem, 17 times 24. Okay, fuck, 17 times 24. You knew immediately that this is a multiplication problem and that you could probably solve it with paper and pencil or even in your mind. You also probably had some vague knowledge of the range of possible, of possible results. So like, you see this problem, you're like, okay, yeah, I could probably solve that, yep. And, and you also have some like basic ass gut feel of what possible and what impossible results are. So 17 times 24, you're pretty sure the answer is not 100 million, but you're also pretty sure that the answer is not five. But without spending some time on the problem, you would not be certain that the answer is not 568. So you know, someone shows you, you know, 17 times 24, and you're like, and they say 568. You're like, well, okay, I don't know. That 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 could be possible. A precise solution did not come to mind, and you felt that you could choose whether or not to engage in the computation. Do the problem, he tells us. Okay, so he's saying that you see this, and it's not like. You know, you look at the angry lady's face and boom, solution. It's like 17 times 24. Okay, well, I don't want to do that, but he's asking us to. So let's do it. Okay, so let's think about it. So let's see, 17 times 10 is 170. So 17 times 20, that's 170 times 2, so that's 340. Okay, now I need to multiply 17 times 4 to get the last 4 of the 17. Okay, well... 20 times 4 is 80 minus 12 because 17 is 3 less than 20, so 68. Okay, so 340 plus 68, 408. That's my answer. Okay, I did that. I'm sure you guys are tracking. In this situation, you experienced slow thinking as you proceeded through the steps. You first retrieved from memory the cognitive program for multiplication that you learned in school, and then you implemented it. It was a strain. It was hard. You, know, you had to kind of track those intermediate results. You know, I was having to remember like, okay, I got 340 and then I need to add 68. But there was that question of like, wait, was that 340 or was that 350? The process was mental work, deliberate effort and orderly, a prototype of slow thinking. The computation was not only an event in your mind, your body was involved too. Your muscles tensed up, your blood pressure rose, and your heart rate increased while your pupils dilated. By the way, your pupils contracted back to normal size as soon as you ended your work when you found the answer, which was 408, by the way. Suck it. Two systems. System one operates automatically and quickly with little or no effort and no sense of voluntary control. System two allocates attention to the effortful mental activities that demand it, including complex computations. 
The operations of System 2 are often associated with the subjective experience of agency, choice, and concentration. So it felt like, and it actually was, I had the choice and I had to concentrate if I wanted to do that problem, okay? Whereas System 1 is like, I didn't have a choice to interpret that lady's face in any way, but that bitch angry. The labels of System 1 and System 2 are widely used in psychology, but I go further than most in this book. You can read this book as a psychodrama between two characters. When we think of ourselves, we identify with System 2, the conscious, reasoning self that has beliefs, make choices, and decides what to think and what to do. Although System 2 believes itself to be where the action is, the automatic System 1 is the hero of this book. I describe System 1 as effortlessly originating impressions and feelings that are the main sources of the explicit beliefs and deliberate choices of System 2. The automatic operations of System 1 generate surprisingly complex patterns of ideas, but only the slower System 2 can construct thoughts in an orderly series of steps. So goddammit, but what, what this basically saying is that like when we think about ourselves, when we think of free will, when we think of who we are, we we almost don't even acknowledge that there's that system one. You know, right now I've got a I got a cut on my chin because I uh, I shaved with a straight razor. Now, partly that's because I have to shave like once a week, and so I was like, God damn, I don't want to keep buying these damn razors. So I found if you have a straight razor, there's a hundred disposable blades, and I can shave with them two times before I have to like change them out so like I think I'm just I think I now have all the shaving utensils I'm going to need for like a hundred years but if I'm really thinking about why I want to do that it's because it's super cool and it's it's kind of like I'm using like a weapon and also I remember I watched this I think it was Pan's Labyrinth or I don't know it was like a movie long ago where there was I think it was by Guillermo del Toro and there was a guy and he was shaving with a straight razor and I just was like, that's legit. And so the real reason that I wanted to do that and you know, I'm still learning obviously like kind of did that a little bit drunk last night and cut my fucking chin. Oops. But the real reason is just like, hell yeah, that's fucking awesome. But what I told myself when I rationalized with the system too was like, oh, well, you know, I'll never need to buy another razor again because it's such a frugal purchase. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying that we all think that we're this system two, this logical computer, but system one has a disproportionate influence on us. And a lot of times we don't even know it. He says, I also describe circumstances in which system two takes over, over overruling the freewheeling impulses and associations of system one. As this book progresses, you will be invited to think of the two systems as agents with their individual abilities, limitations, and functions. Here are some examples of the automatic activities that are attributed to System 1. Uh, so he's going to give us some examples of things that just like happen automatically. Um, so okay, first is detecting if an object is, is closer than another. Okay, so we look at two objects, we're like, which one's closer? Okay, that's System 1. We're just like, yeah, the one that's closer is closer. But if you think about that, like if you're trying to program a computer to do that, that a calculation is happening. Um, another is orienting to the source of a sudden sound. You know, like if if you my wife's sleeping right now, if I if I walked in and I yelled, "Wake up, bitch!" She, her system one would automatically orient to the sound, and then my system one would automatically get divorced. Uh, complete the phrase big black hey that's your system one not mine um, another example is if someone shows you a horrible picture uh, that that face of disgust that universal human emotion of disgust that's just a system one thing you're like ugh, yuck uh, another is detecting hostility in a voice you know if you've done enough cold calling or if you even just talk to a person you know somebody answers the phone they're like yes you're like fuck they're mad um another example is driving a car on an empty road um the list goes on all these mental events belong with the angry woman 
They occur automatically and require little or no effort. The capabilities of System 1 include innate skills that we share with other animals. Uh, so we're, we're born to perceive the world around us, recognize objects, orient attention, avoid losses, fear snakes. So, so some of it's just built in genetically. You know, like, we've got the same nervous system as the gazelle in many ways. And, you know, that, them bitches is always looking for lions. But other mental activities become fast and automatic through prolonged practice. So there's some that's just genetic, like someone shoots a gun or there's a really loud noise. You know, you're, you're just genetically, the fact that you're alive, you're going you're gonna to orient to it. But there's other activities that can, can develop that same level of automatic response, but it's been learned through practice. So system one has learned associations between ideas. It, it has also learned skills such as reading and understanding nuances of social situations. Um, some skills such as finding strong chess moves are acquired only by specialized experts, but others are widely shared. So um, I don't, I'm, I, I actually think I'm starting to like basketball. It's so stupid, but I did that Jordan episode, then I watched The Last Dance, and then I'm like obsessed with Kobe Bryant now, um, and I kind of like it, dude, but whatever, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold the line as long as I can, but, uh, and I realized that it's like, the skill profile is very similar to, to defensive pistol shooting, and so it's kind of like I'm practicing shooting, because if you learn about how really good basketball players get better, you're actually like learning how to call upon the multivariate system of defensive shooting. So, anyways, um, Kobe Bryant, uh, his rest in peace, was talking about how he, he he understands his opponents, but then he tries to take the game to their weaknesses. So if he knows someone's not as good at dribbling with their left hand, he will force the entire game. He will force them to do it in you know to go to their left hand. But for me, you know, playing basketball, dude, I'm not gonna have that. Like that would have to be a conscious thing. I'd have to consciously think like, okay, flip it around in my mind, even though it looks like it's on the right to me, it's actually his left hand. So then I need to make sure when he's doing this, that I'm standing this current, this specific way. And, but Kobe, his system one just had learned that. And so, you know, now he's just going out and he's expressing himself with his play. But one of the expressions that he has automatically is drive the play to this person's left hand as an example. Um, going back to the previous list, several of the mental actions in the list are completely involuntary. You cannot refrain from understanding simple sentences in your own language or from orienting to a loud, unexpected sound. So, uh, long ago, I lived in the ghetto and I decided I would change my phone alarm to me yelling. And so I was like, yeah, this is gonna be great. So I changed my phone alarm I, I recorded myself screaming into my phone wake up it's time to lift wake up pussy and uh and then i was like this will be so great i'll be so motivated well turns out while i did live in the ghetto i also lived with a woman and i almost became single that day because we woke up to the same time and both of our system ones let's just say they were incapable if of ignoring that uh, it was terrifying. <laughs> my wife was like, I thought someone was in the house. <laughs> like, Yeah, I'm sorry, not my best moment. Other activities, such as chewing and breathing, are susceptible to voluntary control, but, all, but normally run on automatic pilot. The control of attention is shared by the two systems. So, you know, like, focus on your breathing right now. Normally, you know, like, up until I did that, I've just, I guess I've been breathing this whole episode. I don't even know. But uh, but now that I did it, I'm like consciously focusing on it. And he's saying there's some things that like you share control. System one typically does it, but system two, you can come and you can control it. The highly diverse operations of system two have one feature in common. They require attention and are disrupted when attention is drawn away. So we're going to talk about some examples of system two right now. Okay, in a similar similar format to what we just did, um, here's some examples. So, so an example of system two would be bracing for the starter gun in a race. You know, so 
you're about to you're about to like run a track race and the what makes you start is the gun run and so uh you know if you're not like focusing on that if you're just hanging out you're gonna be shittier um focus on a voice of a particular person in a crowded and noisy room you know it's like for me i'll be i'll be in the kitchen and i'll have one headphone in because you know i'm like listening to podcasts man i'm on the path and then my wife she'll whisper i feel like she'll be in the other room she'll whisper and i can't hear her or like i'm really really have to focus and then she's like you never listen to me but like system two is required to like try to try to parse out her voice from the headphone in my ear and the dishwasher that's going um, another example of system two that requires effort is uh, maintaining a faster walking speed than is natural to you. So like if you could naturally lollygag around, like that's what Amos and Daniel were doing. They were just like chilling, walking real slow, just get the juices flowing. But if they went for a run and they were sprinting, they're not going to be able to like, you know, engage in that lollygagging because it's going to take effort. Like their, their mental effort is going to be all geared towards don't quit. Um, another example is parking in a narrow space with your car. Uh, he does bring up except for parking garage attendants, which is really interesting because they've gotten so good that parking is now system one. Um, filling out a tax form, the list goes on. In all these situations, you must pay attention and you will perform less well or not at all if you are not ready or if your attention is directed inappropriately. You know, if you're, if you're ready for the starting gun, but then you start thinking about your balls. You're like, wow, oh, man, I don't know if I got my balls on the left side or the right side. Like, which is better? And then you think of that joke, and it's like, how's it hanging? And you're like, a little to the left. And then you're like, oh, I think my balls are to the right. Huh, that's funny. Oh, fuck, I'm supposed to be running. And so it's like, if you're not focused, if you're not deliberately putting your attention to bracing for the starter gun, you're going to perform less well or not at all. I mean, you might be last because you're over there thinking about your balls. System two has the ability to change the way system one works by programming the normally automatic functions of attention and memory. And so uh, we learned this on the on combat episode that if you drill system two things enough, you'll still be able to access them when you've descended to the wildfire of bees in your pants known as combat. And the only thing you have access to is system one skills. Meaning, if you practice all of your standard operating procedures, you know, if you practice draw, fire five shots, draw, don't fire because it turns out it's a hostage, draw, shoot this person, don't shoot this person. Like if you practice all the different permutations, even like getting on the radio, you know, like, hey, get really, really fucking scared and then like still do a calm radio call. If you practice it all, you actually can take those things that, that normally are conscious system two ideas and burn them into system one. And that was kind of like the whole thesis of on combat. And so Daniel's just, just saying he agrees. The often used phrase, pay attention, is apt. You dispose of a limited budget of attention that you can allocate to activities. And if you try to go beyond your budget, you will fail. So an example of that is if you've been driving and you're in like a new place and you're, you're, you're not late, but you're like, if you fuck it up, you could be late and you're, you're trying to, okay, you get there and you're like, fuck, I got to find a parking spot now. And then you're not that good at parallel parking. You're new, you're navigating, you're like, fuck, I missed the turn. Shit. Okay. I'm like eight minutes late. Uh, and then someone calls you on the phone. What do you say? You're like, Hey, sorry, man. I, I can't talk right now. Why? Well, because all of your attention is already devoted to just like parking and getting to your meeting on time that's what he's talking about insane focus on a task can make people effectively blind even to stimuli that normally attract attention i'm sure you guys have all heard about that damn gorilla experiment where they're like hey count the number of passes from the blue team and there's a red team and blue team and so you're watching a basketball game you count the passes and it's a trick because counting the passes is not the point the point is in that experiment someone in a gorilla suit walks across the court and like something like half the people don't even notice the gorilla on, on the on the uh basketball court because they're too busy counting the passes i have another funny joke i can't make because i'll get canceled um the interaction of the two systems is a recurrent theme of the book and a brief synopsis of the plot is in order 
in the story I will tell, System 1 and 2 are both active whenever we are awake. System 1 runs automatically, and System 2 is normally in a comfortable, low-effort mode in which only a fraction of its capacity is engaged. System 1 continuously generates suggestions for System 2. Impressions, intuitions, intentions, feelings. You know, okay, so you're, you go to a new place, or, you know, you're in the dark, you're walking, you know, you're walking into the dark forest for deer hunting at five in the morning, and you start thinking about the skinwalker, and you're like, you know, Native Americans, they seem pretty smart, and if they believe that skinwalkers are true, God, I really hope I don't see a fucking coyote shapeshifter. Oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And you're like, wait, walk into the forest. Be like, do I have to? Yes. So System 1 is constantly generating feelings and impressions, and and if endorsed by System 2, impressions and, and intuitions turn into beliefs, and then impulses turn into voluntary actions. So, you know, if you're kind of low-key actually do believe in the skinwalker, and then you're like, fuck, you know, man, they wouldn't be making that up, and then you get that cold fear, and you're like, shit, and you're like, man, I think I'm, dude, I, I was overcome by a feeling of being watched. And then you go from, hey, think about the skinwalker to now like you're not gonna hunt in the in the morning because you feel like your specific area of woods is haunted by the spirits of the Native American skinwalker. When all goes smoothly, which is most of the time, system two adopts the suggestions of system one with little or no modification. When System 1 runs into difficulty, it calls on System 2 to support more detailed and specific processing that may solve the problem of the moment. System 2 is mobilized when a question arises for which System 1 does not have an answer, as probably happened to you when you encountered the multiplication problem of 17 times 24. So he's saying that, you know, System 1 is just this constant barometer. You know, how you feeling? How you doing? Okay, you happy? Are you sad? What's going on? Let's get a feeling. Let's get an impression. Let's get a bias. Oh, your intuition's telling you to do something. And a lot of times that's just that's just running. You know, it, it never makes it to your conscious mind because like everything's normal. But sometimes you, you know your your system one's going along and then you you run into 17 times 24. <laughs> and you're like, uh and then it 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 reaches that high watermark where your conscious mind, your system two, has to come in and solve the problem like we did. You can also feel a surge of conscious attention whenever you are surprised. System two is activated when an event is detected that violates the model of the world that system one maintains. You know, I remember I told this story long ago, but I was at Walmart, I was buying ammo, and then I heard a gunshot. Okay, loud as fuck gunshot. And I was in the sporting goods section, so I was always kind of already kind of primed looking at guns, and I'm like, and I was concealed carrying, but I was like, fuck. And I mentally rehearsed, like, drawing my pistol. I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna fucking die. So I, like, tiptoe to the next aisle where I heard the gunshot. And I look, and it's a kid who had pumped up a bike tire so much it exploded. And I just looked at him, and I was fucking white. My face was, face was white. And he's just like, huh, sorry. I'm like, you better be fucking sorry. But see, I went from that. Whereas if I was on a gun range and I heard that noise, dude, it wouldn't have risen to system two because like that's an expected noise, but that survive that surprise. Yeah, bitch. I, I, I was immediately, <laughs> I was like, Hmm, system two says investigate if I'm have to defend myself. Uh, system two is also credited with the continuous monitoring of your own behavior. The control that keeps you polite when you're angry and alert when you're driving at night. System 2 is mobilized to increased effort when it detects an error about to be made. Remember a time when you almost blurted out an offensive remark and think about how hard it was to restore control. So, you know, I've had to do that two times already on this podcast because I'd be canceled by my hilarious jokes. But uh, an example I remember... So I worked at this place uh, in Minnesota uh, as an intern, and they had the Juicy Lucy Burger, Juicy Lucy, and it was uh, two patties with cheese in the middle 
and squeezed down and cooked and it was it was like a cult classic and my boss had a lisp and she had a little dog uh named lucy and so whenever and and she was not that cool i'll admit that's the understatement of the year but she'd be like juicy luthy or she'd be like hey luthy and her little fucking dog was around and dude i got so good at doing her impression that every time I said Juthy Luthy, I had to be careful not to accidentally really, really offensively lisp. Because, dude, if I came up to her and I'm like, do you have the new recipe of the new Juthy Luthy? Oh, fuck. Because she would look at me and she would immediately know that I was just like, that I had made fun of her so much that it became system one. And how I, that's just actually how I said the phrase Luthy now. If you've ever tried not to swear around a child, you know what he's talking about. You know, system system two is is monitoring your behavior and being like, hey, idiot, don't say fuck around the child. The division of labor between system one and system two is highly efficient. It minimizes effort and optimizes performance. System one is when, for example, think about a time when maybe you've been in the presence of gigantic boobs but you can't stare at them you shouldn't it's disrespectful system one thinks of all the tricks in the world to circumvent that oh hey that's a really interesting picture on her shirt let's read that what does that say oh hey um what time is it hey look her computer's right there let's read the time on her computer god damn it system one i'm trying to be respectful over here you experience a conflict between a task that you intended to carry out and an automatic response that interfered with it. Don't look, don't look. God damn it, system one. In other words, system two is in charge of self-control. You know, dogs, goats, and simpler people struggle to not do orgasm in public because their system two is not strong enough. He continues. So we've all sat down now at the table for this seance. The leader, Daniel, is weaving his web of yarn. He's lighting the candles. He's preparing our minds. The Ouija board is out and our hands are on it. Let us chant. Show yourself, demon. In the explanation of this creature known as System One, let's look at an example. Let's look at illusions. So you guys have probably all seen this, but, but imagine two lines that are the same length. Okay, and now imagine that the second line, you draw some fins on it. So kind of like a, like a fish's fin going on either side. And now you look at the lines. And the crazy thing is, the lines look different. They, they truly look like one is longer than the other. But you know, because you measure the lines, you know that they're the same. But you still see the bottom line as longer. To resist the illusion, there's only one thing you can do. You must learn to mistrust your impressions. And it's the same thing because not all illusions are visual. He brings up cognitive illusions. As a graduate student, I attended some uh, courses on the art and science of psychotherapy. During one of the lectures, our teacher imparted a morsel of clinical wisdom. You will, from time to time, meet a patient who shares a disturbing tale of multiple mistakes in his previous treatment. He has been seen by several clinicians and all failed him. The patient can lucidly describe how his therapist misunderstood him, but he has quickly perceived that you're different. You share the same feeling. You're convinced you understand him. Oh, God damn it, you're right. I will be able to help. At this point, my teacher raised his voice and he said, do not even think of taking on this patient. Throw him out of the office. He is most likely a psychopath, and you will not be able to help him. That's, that 2% is only good for killing, dog-catching, and collecting ears, according to Dave. But the point is, what we were taught was not how we feel about the patient. Our teacher took for granted that the sympathy we would feel for the patient would not be under our control. You know, it's just like looking at the lines. It is impossible not to see those lines as different. The sympathy would arise from system one. Furthermore, we were not being taught to be generally suspicious of our feelings about patients. We were just told that a strong attraction to a patient 
with a repeated history of failed treatment is a danger sign. Constantly questioning our own thinking would be impossibly tedious, and System 2 is much too slow and inefficient to serve as a substitute for System 1 in making routine decisions. The best we can do is a compromise. Learn to recognize situations in which mistakes are likely and try harder to avoid significant mistakes when the stakes are high. So what he's saying is that they're just, they're just times, they're situations where it's as much of an illusion as looking at the lines. And in reality, you can't live your life always trying to consciously think through everything. It's just going to be too slow. So what he's saying is what we need to do is we need to download an update into our system one and that update is constantly looking for these situations where illusions could happen where shit done might get a little bit fucked up in the unlikely event of this book being made into a film system two would be a supporting character who believes himself to be the hero the defining feature of system two in this story is that its operations are effortful and one of its main characteristics is laziness a reluctance to invest more effort than is strictly necessary. So think about 17 times 24. I didn't want to do that. I even joked. I was like, damn it. I guess he's asking us to do it. That is system two. A characteristic of it is just laziness or attention sparing. Uh, the, the sophisticated allocation of attention has been honed by a long evolutionary history. Even in modern humans, System 1 takes over in emergencies and assigns total priority to self-protective actions. And so we talked about this a little bit, but like that's where Dave's ideas from on combat get really interesting and how you actually can still have access to any skill you want in System 1 it, as long as you burn it in, as long as you habituate it. As you become skilled in a task, its demand for energy diminishes. Uh, studies of the brain have shown that the pattern of activity associated with an action changes as skill increases with fewer brain regions involved. A general law of least effort applies to cognitive as well as physical exertion. The law asserts that, that if there are several ways of achieving the same goal, people will eventually gravitate to the least demanding course of action. And so that's why it's so tricky. You know, it's way easier to see a girl with black hair and just be like, which? Instead of reminding ourselves it's possible that she's just goth. And so as the story continues, let us dive into the busy and depleted system two. It is now a well-established proposition that both self-control and cognitive effort are forms of mental work. Another way of saying this is that controlling thoughts and behaviors is one of the tasks the system two performs. One of the main functions of System 2 is to monitor and control thoughts and actions suggested by System 1, allowing some to be expressed directly in behavior and suppressing or modifying others. For example, here's a simple puzzle. Don't try to solve it, just listen to your intuition. Okay, a bat and a ball costs $1.10. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Okay, so bat and ball, $1.10 total. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. Okay, how much does the ball cost? Dude, it is almost impossible for my brain to be like, the ball costs 10 cents and the bat costs a dollar. A number came to your mind, of course, 10 cents. The distinctive mark of this easy puzzle is that it evokes an answer that is intuitive, appealing, and wrong. So th think about that. So if the ball costs, let's really think about this. Okay, let's say the ball costs 10 cents. Okay, let's, and what is a dollar more than 10 cents? A dollar 10. Okay, now if you add those together, the total is a dollar 20. And so we just learned that for this example, a bat and ball costs a dollar 10. So the ball can't cost 10 cents. The correct, correct answer is 5 cents. But our intuition is just like, God damn it. And we, like, just even as I was saying that, it was so hard. Like, I, I couldn't intuitively see the answer is five cents. Because if it's five cents, okay, if it's five cents and the, the bat costs a dollar more, 
That means the bat costs a dollar five. You add them together, it's a dollar ten. That's the answer. Uh, Doctor, Mister, esteemed Kahneman, I used this bat and ball puzzle to study a central theory in the idea of judgment. How closely does System Two monitor the suggestion of System One? His reasoning is: we know a significant fact about anyone who says the ball costs ten cents. So, so what what do we know about that person? Well, we know that they actually didn't do the math. They actually legit did not double check their work. The people who made the mistake did not double check. Many thousands of university students have answered the bat and ball puzzle and the results were shocking. More than 50% of the students at Harvard, MIT, and Princeton gave the intuitive and incorrect answer. So he's like, he's taken this bat and ball puzzle and he's surveying thousands and thousands of people. And half of the people are wrong. But the crazy thing is, if you if you truly go slow, everybody can do that basic math. You're adding a dollar is so fucking simple. It's like adding one. But half the people he surveyed don't do the basic math, which he's saying can actually tell us something about them. It's that they are quick to jump to conclusions. It's that they is that they trust their system one too much. The bat and ball problem is our first encounter with an observation that will be a recurrent theme of this book. Many people are overconfident, prone to place too much faith in their intuitions. Um, and he's saying, now I will show you a logical argument, two premises and a conclusion. Try to determine as quickly as you can if the argument is valid. Okay. Now, I think this is a little bit unfair for me because these are the puzzles that like I could do for a hundred years and still enjoy them. Uh, I loved formal logic class, but um, hey, I got fooled by the last one, so let's see what I do. Here we go. All roses are flowers. Some flowers fade quickly. Therefore, some roses fade quickly. Okay, so what do we think? Is that valid or not? Well... <laughs> bitch i know it's not just because because i have trained my system two enough that uh that now system one kind of is always like mm, okay something's fucked up there because let's think about that okay some of this thing called flower fade quickly all roses are this thing called flower but there's there's no connection that's saying ain't no way we can make a comment about roses by knowing that this thing called flower has some varieties that fade quickly. Uh, put I'll put it in a, in a in a more clear version for us. All guns are weapons. Some weapons can be used to shave with. Therefore, some guns can be used to shave with. I mean, technically, like if you cut your hands off and replace them with guns, maybe. But but no, obviously no. But a large majority of college students look at that syllogism, so that logical proof, and they think it's valid. Just as in the bat and ball problem, a plausible answer comes to mind immediately. Overriding it requires hard work. There's just this insistent idea that it's true, it's true, it's true. Why spend the time? Don't check, don't check, it's true. It makes it difficult to check the logic. And I'll also say, if, if, you, if you deeply learn the discipline of formal logic in this example, and maybe you could even say risk and probabilistic thinking like Rat Taleb espouses, your system one gets pretty fast. Because for me, I was fooled by the first one, dude, completely fooled. But for this one, I was like, mm, okay, yeah, bitch, not all roses, not even some roses. No, we can't judge that. But most people who didn't take a formal logic class, they're like, oh yeah, but then they take that operating system out there in the world and are making decisions where they're actually wrong. This experiment has discouraging implications for reasoning in everyday life. It suggests that when people believe a conclusion to be true, they are also very likely to believe arguments that appear to support it even when those arguments are unsound. Because, you know, if we go back to the Rose example we all know that some roses fade quickly so even if the premises don't necessarily follow we look at it and we're like 
Yeah, that's true. Overriding it requires hard work. If system one is involved, the conclusion comes first and the arguments follow. Next, consider the following question and answer it quickly before reading on. How many murders occur in the state of Michigan in one year? Okay, let's think about that. Um, Indianapolis, where I, you know, I loosely live, has a million people. Um, I don't even, I don't know exactly, but I bet, I bet the state of Indiana has 20 million. I don't know, one percent of people being murdered would be like 200,000, which would be fucking insane. So there's probably like 5,000 murders in Indiana. So I, I guess similar for Michigan. The question is again a challenge to System Two. The trick is whether the respondent will remember that Detroit, a high crime city, is in Michigan. God damn it. You got me, Daniel. Because that logic I just did, that that works for Indiana. It might work for like Ohio, maybe even Iowa. But Illinois and Michigan have crime havens known as Chicago and Detroit. Blame for a failure to think of Detroit can be laid on both System 1 and System 2. Whether the city comes to mind when the state is mentioned depends in part on the automatic function of memory. So I have a friend who did his like medical school rotation shit in Michigan. And so I would, I'm sure he would have a much different answer than me. You know, if you did an emergency medicine rotation in Detroit, you probably remember Detroit. But, but you might even bias it too much. You know, you might just think about like all of the murders you saw and you might think, you know, that, that it's triple the rate it actually is. However, everyone doing this, like if I had an, if I had a year to plan that, like to come up with my forecast, I definitely would have thought of Detroit. You know, I would have been like, okay, let me map out the, the biggest cities. And I'm like, oh shit, Detroit. You know, I know Eminem came from Detroit and, and he, He's probably killed a couple people, you know, and multiply that, you know, if everybody from Detroit has killed a couple people, like, fuck. And this is why this book squirreled its way into my fucking mind. This is an operating system for how to make decisions in the world. Because the bat and ball problem or the Detroit problem, it's just like one example, but we run into very similar problems like this all the time. And if we can, dude, if we can make our judgment just like, 10% better compounded over 20 fucking years dude we're a, we're a god and everyone else is just a dog with a beard growing all over it lazy is a harsh judgment about the self-monitoring of those young people and their system too but it does not seem unfair and uh this is also why you know understanding mental models really well allows your judgment to be better also so like if you viscerally understand the 80-20 principle, even my system one is going to fucking get it. Like at work, we're doing this elaborate fucking uh, sales strategy and, you know, do this and focus on this and clap your hands. Yeah, but you know what the secret is? Regardless of all of that, it's just getting on fucking prospecting calls with clients. That's it. Yeah, we want to be strategic. We want to do all this stuff, but I'm basically ignoring everything else and just prospecting but i wouldn't have been able to quickly sniff that idea out if i hadn't deeply understood the 80 20 principle to the point that my system one is like yeah whatever man you're wasting my life okay i'm just gonna make some fucking calls Whew. okay got a little fired up there uh this book is was way better than i remember uh probably because i wasn't reading it when i was fucking wasted lying on the floor with a terrible back injury but the smoke-like shape of this demon is taking form. Let us continue in this two-system story. Everyone wants to study the connection between thinking and self-control. Uh, some bitch named Shane conducted a cognitive reflection test which consisted of the bat and ball problem and a few other questions chosen because they also invite an intuitive answer that is both compelling and wrong. Okay, so... Take the bat and ball problem and a few others that are tricks like that. And let's go study a bunch of students and see what happens. And what he found was that the students who uh, broadly scored low on, on these types of tests, the supervisory function of system two was weak in those people. So they just found the, the first answer that came to mind. They're like, yep, good enough. And you can take that knowledge that those people consistently do that 
And you can guess that they probably fucking consistently do that in the world. They're prone to answer questions with the first idea that comes to mind and unwilling to invest the effort needed to check their intuitions. And so as I was doing this, it's like, holy shit, it's epiphany time. You know, I bet that's partly why consciously or unconsciously the military is so insane in boot camp with attention to detail. You know, if you have to spend nine weeks basically going about your daily life under the threat of government sanctioned hazing, if you don't fold your underwear a certain way, walk a certain way, make your bed a certain way, you know, eat, don't look at your food when you're eating, shoot a gun with these exact mechanics, you're just forced to continuously override your system one. And so you get all these people who, yeah, who cares? Even if they did score shitty on that test, the military is training them to focus on system two. They're training them to be like, hey, holy shit, I thought it was stupid. If I can survive and thrive in this detail-oriented environment, I can do anything. And so the story continues, um, the associative mind. To begin our exploration in the surprising workings of System 1, look or listen to the following words. Bananas vomit. Bananas vomit. A lot happened to you during the last second or two. You experienced unpleasant images and memories. You know, flashbacks of simpler times when you blacked out on banana-flavored liqueur at the last MMA fight you ever went to, a combination of mourning the loss of a prize trial on the great Monte Carlo simulation of life and celebrating your own death. You rampage around talking to sober strangers until your childhood hero taekwondo instructor tells you to fucking leave. Um, too soon? But your face, when you thought about bananas and vomit, your face twisted slightly in an expression of disgust. Your heart rate increased and the hair on your arms rose a little. In short, you responded to the disgusting word with the attenuated, so the shorter version of how you would react to the actual event. You know, I remember remember when I was in first grade, dude, I was a new kid in Belgium. And so I didn't know anybody. And I came like in the middle of the school year and I sat at the table, but there was nowhere to sit. And and so I had to sit with the wheelchair kids, which was fine. Hey, man, I'm cool with it. Whatever. I was like, I don't care, man. You got a chair, dude. It's great. You know, I would love to have a chair. I'm tired. One of the wheelchair kids, Eddie, he would always try to fight you. And he was crazy. And he was in a wheelchair. One time, Eddie, he looked me in the eyes. And then he started vomiting all over himself. And I was like, because I hadn't learned that you don't have to sniff every nasty smell you smell. So I sniffed it. And then it was like, I'm about to vomit. And I got up and I ran out to the playground and I almost fucking vomited. And even thinking about, thinking about that, like I'm feeling disgust. But Daniel brings up a crazy point, which is because we are primed like this right now, we are unusually ready to recognize and respond to objects and concepts associated with vomit, such as sick, stink, nausea, and words associated with bananas, such as yellow and fruit. This complex constellation of responses occurred quickly, automatically, and effortlessly. You did not will it, and you could not stop it. You know, so I'm, I'm thinking now about like that time that you know, when I was fostering a niece and nephew, you know, three-year-old stood next to the gate, yelling and projectile vomiting all over the gate, and then I had to clean him up, and then I threw up. You know, I can't not think about that. The events that the events that took place as a result of you hearing those words happen automatically by a process called associative activation. And so this is crazy. And he'll talk about priming and all this shit. But the the point is, if you're exposed to words like bananas and vomit, you're now in the mindset where you're more likely to recognize disgusting things. And you know, this is like backed up by experiments and shit. Okay. Ideas that have been evoked trigger many other ideas in a spreading cascade of activity in your brain. You know, for me, if I hear wooden teeth, I, th- I think George Washington. I think America. I think freedom. And then I have two thought paths I could go down. Either guns, Second Amendment, the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Or the other track, I think capitalism, libertarianism, get off my fucking lawn, freedom. But I got there predictably from wooden teeth. 
The essential feature of this complex set of mental events is its coherence. Each element is connected and each supports and strengthens the others. The words evoke memories, which evoke emotions, which in turn evoke facial expressions and other reactions. You know, embarrassment about how I behaved, the last conversation I ever had with my Taekwondo instructor when I was completely blackout, talking to strangers, being like, hey, I'm going to take steroids one day. And they're like, you are so wasted. Yeah, all this happens quickly and all at once. In a second, your system one made as much sense as possible of the situation by linking the words to a causal story. So we, we think bananas vomit. We think like, okay, he probably ate some bad bananas, made him vomit. Think of the ideas as nodes in a vast network called associative memory. Fuck. An idea that has been activated does not merely evoke another idea. It activates many ideas, which in turn activates others. Furthermore, only a few of these activated ideas will register in consciousness. So, I, dude, I feel like an evil psychopath could use that concept to, like, to mind control someone. You know, just, just get the mind map of love, loyalty, faith, sexual arousal firing, and a weak-minded man is one signature away from signing over all his possessions to a woman he met online. And I think it's time to learn about priming and a bunch of other ways our mind done gets fucked up. I don't even know, dude. We're going to be here for a thousand years. But because my system two has to manage the idiocy of my system one when I bought a goddamn Google Chromebook, I got 800 megabytes on this shit. There's no chance that I can do a whole nother section. So we're going to have to tune in next time on the next episode of the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. We're going to wind up. We're going to finish up this two systems idea. We're going to go through some examples of when shit actually does get predictably fucked up so we can just be aware of it. We're gonna learn why we're just so confident. You know, I just I just had a feeling, dog. And then we're gonna then we're gonna close this whore up and all go out in the world with a little bit better judgment so that we can become rich, jacked, and gods among men. But if you want that, you're gonna have to tune in next time to the next episode of the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that, my pretties, is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Check us out at CuriouslyDisagreeable.com, the Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcasts. The end. <laughs>